The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, learn about the American Association of People with Disabilities. But let's begin ACB Reports for February 2007 with this important announcement for affiliates of the American Council of the Blind. This year, ACB will conduct both the Affiliate President's Meeting and the annual Legislative Seminar in Washington, D.C. The Affiliate President's Meeting will begin on Saturday, February 24th and will run through noon on Sunday, February 25th, 2007. The Legislative Seminar will begin later in the afternoon of February 25th and will conclude with Capitol Hill visits on Tuesday, February 27th. Both of these events will be held at the Holiday Inn Roslyn at Key Bridge, which is located at 1900 North Fort Myer Drive in Arlington, Virginia. This hotel is right across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C. and is easily accessible by both metro and taxicab. The room rate is only $99 plus 10.25% tax per room per night. The hotel is ready to accept your reservations, so make them now by calling either 703-807-2000 or 888-465-4329. When calling, be sure to give them the group code for the event, which is ACB. Jennifer Simpson is the Senior Director of Telecommunication and Technology for the American Association of People with Disabilities. She talked about her organization in this presentation at the 45th Annual Convention of the American Council of the Blind in July of 2006. Hello, good morning. I'm very happy to be here this Thursday morning at your annual 45th conference. I'm totally impressed. AAPD has only been around since 1995. AAPD is the largest national, independent, nonprofit, cross-disability member organization in the United States. AAPD's board and staff are dedicating themselves to ensuring economic self-sufficiency and political empowerment for the more than 51 million Americans with disabilities. And that's the latest number we're hearing, 51 million Americans with disabilities. But we need to remember that's in the context of the overall American population. We're approaching 300 million Americans on this continent now. So when you talk about lots of different groups, I'm for all the different groups. We need as many people as we can advocating around disability. AAPD operates programs in four core areas. Political participation, we have a voter project, leadership development, mentoring and career exploration, and advocacy. These are the core programs we have for our over 100,000 members. I could go into a little bit more detail about those later if you like, but actually I really want to go back a little and talk about why I'm really here and why I got into the disability business. I believe it is a disability business we're all in. And um, the reason I got into it, as I was sort of elected to do it as the parent of Joshua, a young man, 21 years old, this year, who's severely disabled by cerebral palsy. If you'd told me 21 years ago that I would have spent most of my professional life working on disability issues, I wouldn't have believed you. However, the challenges came thick and fast. Not only has Joshua required several surgeries, each one agonized over greatly by me and his dad, the last and most successful surgery being a total spinal fusion because he had scoliosis turning his spine into a corkscrew basically, but that did work. But he also requires lots of assistive technology. And it's all this assistive technology that really got me into the disability business. 
For instance, he currently uses a manual wheelchair. That costs about $5,000. He also has a battery-powered wheelchair. That costs about $8,000. He also has an alternative and augmentative communication, or AA, speech device. That costs about $10,000. He also has a portable, battery-powered stair climber. That costs about $7,000. Are you getting the idea that the going price for serious assistive technology is somewhere between five dollars and $10,000? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That's why I want us to start thinking of ourselves as chief procurement officers. You yourself have probably purchased tons of equipment and spent quite a bit of money. And that's one of the reasons why I think we need to start thinking about ourselves somewhat differently. We want to not take any nonsense from the vendors, the suppliers, the distributors, the agencies, or any of the disability organizations that hand out and make us jump through hoops to get stuff. And needless to say, getting all this stuff for Joshua and getting all his medical school and other services paid for has been and continues to be a royal pain in the neck. But like everyone here in this room, I hope you did, like me, put on early the helmet of Chief Procurement Officer. I'm going to attack this and do what I can. And I just didn't give up on appealing insurance company denials. I've been through three of those. I didn't give up on arguing with Medicaid, with the education departments. And we all know what they're like. They seem to reserve some kind of special treatment for me, the mom of a disabled child. Is that why it's called special education? Yes, I've been through two special education adjudication hearings and I've prevailed. I've been told especially that I'm a troublemaker and you're just a parent trying to get everyone else to pay for your son to go to private school and other special comments that they seem to reserve for me. That they tell me in so many ways that having a disabled kid is a problem for them and why didn't you just go away and shut up? You all know what I mean. How many of you ever gotten the feeling when you just asked a regular kind of question, like you went into a store like maybe Radio Shack for a tape recorder, or you, maybe you needed a braille note taker, just so you could function regularly in this world, and the response felt like they would like you to just go away, shut up, and don't come back with your disability minds, you nuisance person. Back in 1985, when Joshua was born, there was no Americans with Disabilities Act, and there was no health insurance portability, and some of the other critical policy advances that we all enjoy today. So we have come some distance, I believe, but I think there's still a lot of problems. ADA has made Joshua's world a much better place, especially in regard to transportation. There's lifts on buses, there's elevators usually, such as on the subway system, also in restaurants and hotels, we tend to find that there's a lot of accessibility. And the special education law means a real lot because without that civil right to education, and it's always good to remember that special education is basically a civil right to education, Joshua would probably have been deemed uneducable and stuck away somewhere. You know I wouldn't put up with that. But that's what got me all started at United Cerebral Palsy in 1990. I joined their national office then and worked on many different issues like the ADA and telecommunications and technology and the Assistive Technology Act, all those kind of things. After working with these, with the United Cerebral Palsy and entering the federal government, I transferred over to the Federal Communications Commission. And one of the things I discovered after working in eight years of federal government service, I just quit in May, while I must say there are many persons in federal government who care greatly, one of the critical things that was part of my decision to leave was that it was becoming more and more obvious to me that disability is just not important to most people or to most companies or even in the federal government who most of us happen to put a lot of trust in to do it right for us. I'm going to repeat that. Disability is just not important to most people, to most companies, and to the media, or to your political representatives or anyone. 
Sometimes I think we forget how outside of the mainstream we can still be. I know I'm getting in deep here, and it may be painful, but even in our own families, disability is not particularly well regarded. For instance, my own mother, your typical World War II generation type, that great generation, she doesn't want my son Joshua in her house because she's afraid the wheelchair will damage the floors and walls of her new house, as he does tend to crash around a bit. So disability gets to be put aside. I have a friend in upstate New York who's blind. Her daughter hasn't even invited her to her wedding. Ouch. Ouch. I know this is a hard truth, but the fact is that most of the rest of the world doesn't pay too much attention to disability, doesn't really care about it, and certainly doesn't see or recognize Americans with disabilities as a voting block, a consumer block, or any sort of block at all. Just to go back to the job I had at the FCC, that's an agency that regulates probably $7 billion worth of capitalization of companies in the economy. Those companies didn't see disability as important, nor was it that important inside the agency. I'm serious. The top attorneys in enforcement are not assigned to disability complaints, nor do they particularly want to work on such issues, as that sure isn't going to get them the fancy grand new job at a Washington, D.C. firm later. Nor is outreach or education or handling of disabled consumer concerns given a big priority. And I believe this is true across most of the federal agencies. Try any agency that is not a special disability agency. You know, any agency other than rehab or special education. Have you experienced great taxpayer consumer satisfaction from, say, the Department of Labor, the Commerce Department, Agriculture Department, the IRS? Think of any federal agency. What have they done for you as a person with a disability lately? Are they leaping out of their chairs to answer the calls from deaf people that are coming in on relay services? I don't think so, right. Are staff at these agencies clamoring to be the ones to put agency fact sheets and notices in alternate format? Right. And what about those websites? How many people at the top really noticed that Section 508 was enacted in the last century? It should no longer be a problem, but it still is. I came out of the federal government as I believed a lot more could be done outside of government and that AAPD could be the vehicle for that. And one of the things I'm really focusing on is what's going on in telecommunications and technology right now. Many of you have probably heard about the broadband legislation in the United States Congress. There was a bill on the House side that got passed. It had a little bit of disability accessibility in it, not a whole lot, and it wasn't that good. Then we worked over on the Senate side, and we got some very, very interesting other language on the Senate side. These are really big bills. These are all about telecommunications companies that want to sell television over the Internet without having to go through local franchise authority. Currently, the federal law says that if you want to sell television through like a cable, you basically have to go to each and one, every one of the local franchise authorities. I mean, that could be a municipal city council or it could be a county government, but whatever it is, in order to do that, they need to go through that process. Well, the telephone companies that want to get into the selling of television don't want to have to go through those, I think there's like 8,000 8, different municipalities and county local governments. So they're looking for federal pre preemption. And that's what that legislation is really all about. Now the cable television industry also wants to get in on this because they really don't want to have to go through all of this either. So you can sort of see why these two big industries, cable television and telephone companies, really want some federal legislation that's going to change how it looks. So being the advocate that I am and some other advocates in Washington, D.C., we thought we'd muscle our way in with these phone companies and cable companies and get some little pieces of disability accessibility maybe wrapped into these bills. And we've been successful. There's a technology called voice over internet protocol telephone service. 
I think some of you know what that is. Voice over IP, telephony, okay, is the routing of voice conversations over the internet or through any other internet protocol IP network. But they're about to sell television over the internet. Yes, not only will it come through the cable, the coaxial cable that your local cable TV comes in, but also through fiber wires to your house or fiber plus coax or any other big fat electronic pipeline some company can dig up at the road and put in, and, and that includes obviously stuff like wireless broadband. For instance, there's another way to get internet access through satellite. At my house, I get my television right now through satellite, which is a big fat over-the-air download from a satellite that is called a low-Earth orbiting satellite, or a LEO, as they call them. Now, it's too expensive for me right now to purchase internet access through this satellite service, but at some time, that may be possible. So we're going to have all these options. So there's a lot going on in this industry that we need to know about because we all want internet access, we all want phone service, and we all want it to work for us. Now in terms of the accessibility that we tried to get in the legislation, one of the most critical things was with voice over IP telephony, we want to make sure that those guys who sell those phones and sell that service over the internet, that their stuff is hearing aid compatible for all our deaf and hard of hearing folks. Because right now, they're not subject to that requirement. That's something we're trying to get. Another one is, if they're going to sell that phone service over the internet, they've got to interconnect it with relay services. Big concept. They didn't know they have to do that. Also, we want them to make it compatible with Section 255 of the Telecommunications Act. This is a requirement in the Communications Act that requires telephone companies and telephone equipment manufacturers to make their services and products accessible to and usable by people with disabilities. Now, it doesn't mean giving discounted services to people with disabilities. It's not about money, really. It's about making things work for disability in a functional way. It's that little small mandate in the Telecommunications Act of 1996 that some of you here worked on as well, where we went in with the phone companies who wanted to get into each other's businesses at that time. We went in and we said, hey, listen to us. We want to try and get you to do something new. Perhaps you need to listen to us. At that time, they wanted to sell equipment and long-distance services that they were barred out of doing at that time. So what we're trying to do now is get Section 255 and the Relay Services mandates and the Hearing Aid Compatibility mandates in any current new telecom legislation. Right now, wireless and wireline guys are the only guys who are subject to these requirements. But as the country moves forward and everything sort of moves onto the internet, we want to make sure that the gains that we've already made are maintained. That's fundamentally one of the key things I'm working on. I'm also looking at, in the legislation, video description. Yes. Very important. Very, very important. I was at the agency that issued the regulations, uh, I think it was 2002, that lasted maybe all of eight months before the industry went to court and had them yanked. Now, the FCC, and I'm proud to say the FCC at that time, did stand up for its regs, but it can't uphold regulations when a court takes them away. So yes, this needs to come back in and they need to be re-promulgated, but they also need to be re-promulgated in terms of the digital television transition. I want to be sure everybody in here knows that television, as we know it, is going to be changing. As of February 17, 2009, there's going to be no more analog television transmission. It's going to be digital coming out of your local television stations. So the question is, what will happen with video description at that time? So one of the things we asked for when we were up lobbying on the Hill recently is if video description rules are re-promulgated, they've got to be done in the context of the digital transition in 2009. It was a very critical thing we were asking for. It wasn't in there. Thank you. Another issue 
is these TV converter boxes. Well, this is this thing that they're going to hand out to people who have analog TV sets so that when that digital transmission occurs in February 2009, it's going to reconvert it back to analog so you can see it on your screen so your screen doesn't go dark. Now, my question that I'm asking, and I expect everybody to be asking, is is it going to pass through the closed captioning that's in there? And if there's video description in there, is that going to come through too? Also, what about the control? Yeah, what about the controls on those boxes? You know, are we going to know how they work? I mean, I'm having trouble already with my microwave. So, what about what about those boxes? So we're monitoring. I'm monitoring very closely, very carefully, what's going on with the industry with this. There's some television group out there developing a design for these boxes. The Department of Commerce is going to be putting out some sort of order on this. We're looking at this very closely, trying to stay on top of this because, believe you me, it's not the easiest thing because who is this industry? Who are these people? Who do we need to talk to? Is very, very important. Another thing we tried to get in the legislation at this time was some sort of equipment set aside for persons who are deaf and blind. One of the big programs inside the Telecommunications Act is something called the Universal Services Fund, which is a fund that gives money to the phone companies for money collected from the, all the other phone companies in order that they may deliver service, say, in rural areas, to hospitals, um, you know, what they call high-cost areas. Those are like, you know, islands, uh, Hawaii, Guam, and that. Apparently it costs more to maintain those lines and keep that phone service going. So the phone companies get to get into those funds and give the money to the, the phone companies that deliver service in those areas. But we said that if it's going to be voice over IP and internet phone service and there's going to be a broadband universal service fund, maybe some of that universal service fund for broadband should be set aside for the needs of deafblind people. Um, we raised this question and we were right in the meeting with some telephone company guys and they said, well, how much money are you talking about? We quickly scrambled because we weren't really sure of the numbers. Went to the website of the Deafblind Society. I hope someone's here. I'd love to talk to you. And we found out there's about 70,000 deafblind people and that equipment can cost between five and 10,000 to make a phone call if you're deafblind. So we quickly said 50 million, what did we say? 50 million, whatever it was, we said a number and they didn't mind it. They said, oh, that's fine. We could deal with that. The phone companies were happy with us going up to the hill and saying that's what we needed. Unfortunately, we didn't get that in the uh, legislation, but it's something I definitely want to, I don't ever go away on anything, you've probably already got that idea. I mean, when Medicaid says no, I don't say no, I appeal, I don't sit and listen. So I'm going to go back, we're going to go back and see if we can get some more money like that somewhere to do something like that. I think it's very important never to take no and always find a way yes, point out things, make a nuisance of oneself. Another future-oriented topic I think we're all interested in and fits the kind of let's leap in and make something happen category that I'm asking you to also do, is to make home appliances accessible. All right, okay, wow. Everybody put their hand up on that one. Like I said, my house is old. So is the stove, which has knobs on the front that click, click as I turn them. I rely on the clicks to know if I have the gas on high or low. I mean, I don't want to explode my house. But over time, the labels for high and low have been washed off. My microwave appliance has one of those nasty flat screen panel screens that gets all smeary and unreadable. What were those guys thinking of when they designed this stuff? Yeah, what about the washing machine too or the stove that doesn't have the controls that work on it for you? Put your hand up if you have an appliance in your house that you can't figure out how it's working. Okay, I see 100%. That's the kind of number I'm going to take with me when I go to uh, one of the trade associations. Apparently, there's a couple of them. There's one called the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers. And I'm going to say, I was at this 45 annual convention, and 100% of the people in the room said they have an appliance in their house that doesn't work for them because of the controls. I don't think these people know about this stuff. Or if they do, they're ignoring it. 
<coughs> I would like you to join me in this effort. Um, either get your business card to me or go through Dale Mohammed. She's your wonderful, wonderful, wonderful government affairs person here in Washington, D.C. Let her know you want to work on this too. So as we develop a strategy and approach, we can go about doing that disability business together. I looked up recently some things about this industry. Other than billions of dollars of sales each year, they divide themselves into all kinds of different appliance groups. You know, the washing machine guys like Viking, Whirlpool, Maytag, the portable devices, companies who make vacuum cleaners, blenders, you know, companies like Orec, uh, Hamilton Beach, Emerson, all kinds of stuff. And then the floor care guys apparently are a separate group, Dyson, Panasonic, Sony, etc. Those are the kind of guys I'd like to be getting into and talking to them about the kind of needs that we have. Uh, we need to keep asking these questions about whether, you know, what about those home appliances? I mean, we need them to work right for everybody. So to do that disability business, I'm monitoring it very closely. You know that companies can voluntarily do this, and many do it. There's much to be said for national, state, and local policies, laws, and regulations to make accessibility and usability happen when and where market forces don't take care of this. You all know that the Latino vote is important. You all know that the elderly or senior vote is important. You all know the environmentalists have to be checked before a single tree is cut down. You know everyone is talking about the boomer generation and the impact they're going to have on programs and services. And there's hundreds of polls tracking how women vote differently from men. I even got a newsflash the other day on my desk about how women are buying more consumer electronics than ever before. Apparently they spent over $50 billion of this last year. So now Apple, Motorola, and Sony are adding color and graceful lines to products and putting women in their ads. Well, how many companies do you know are making sure the consumer electronics work for blind people? Are they putting raised bumps on the keypads? How about a few raised bevel edges so you know where you are and you know where the on-off button is? I mean, it can't be so hard if they're doing color and graceful lines. When I worked at the FCC, I would talk to a lot of individuals at the companies who make all sorts of devices, and most of them said they'd never seen a complaint from a person with a disability. I was astounded. On the one hand, I was hearing complaints all the time, but here were the companies saying they didn't know about the problems. I discovered that there are two things here. In many cases, we're complaining to the wrong person, like the guy at the store or the local distributor, when we should be writing a letter to the chief executive officer of the company. Yes. Then again, it's sometimes hard to figure out who the manufacturer is, let alone the address of that top guy at the company. So that's also part of what I want to do with this telecommunications and technology initiative, is develop lists of who to contact, how to write good and slightly nasty letters. And that's just... <laughs> really nasty, just slightly nasty. And to ask for stuff, we need to be asking for stuff. That's just part of it. We need to think about regulatory or standards fixes as well. So you can see there's lots of ways to go about doing our disability business. Because I don't think we're doing it so well. Do you hear anyone talking on the Sunday talk shows about the disability vote? Do you hear anyone talking about how important it is to find out what disabled consumers want? Do you hear any companies asking, what do blind people think about our new product? Oh, do you hear any government agency saying, let's check with the blind groups first before we issue this regulation? <laughs> no. Do you hear any organization saying, oh no, we forgot to contract with a Braille vendor, so let's not send out that brochure yet till we have it in Braille first? I'm dreaming. No, I'm not. We can make this happen. Do you hear any architects saying something like, oh, we should check with the disability groups first before we design this new building with potholes in the sidewalk and overhanging flower pots? Yes. They should be checking, and we should be right there giving them answers. 
We also run around saying the unemployment numbers for people with disabilities are high. Well, they are. It's at least 50%, and the more severely disabled, the higher the level of unemployment. We also run around talking about the earnings cliff with Social Security, how the minute we start making too much money, we get dumped off Medicaid. We also run around talking about how hard it is to get the technology paid for. Yes, we have a lot of complaints, and it's been going on far too long. So how much longer are 51 million Americans with disabilities going to put up with this kind of nonsense? And are you going to continue to take this? I say no, none of us should, and we all should be fighting all the time. What if we built a huge company of people, the American Association of People with Disabilities, that every day is making it their business to make sure disability is in everyone's face, no matter what the issue is? That is, banging on the doors, getting in all the meetings, writing pointed letters, making noisy phone calls, persisting, making a nuisance of ourselves with political leaders, getting registered to vote. And let me ask how many, everyone here is registered to vote, I assume. Yes, yes, great, 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 great. I'm going to go around saying that 100% of the membership of the American Council of the Blind is, is registered to vote. But I also want to make a point. What if every time you answered a poll or raised your hand at a community meeting, and it wasn't just a disability issue you were raising? This is kind of like what I'm about here. I'm sort of saying that when you go to those meetings when the community meetings when the water mains keep breaking or when the phone lines come down or any generic citizen cause, and when you complain or demand action, you identify yourself as a person with a disability who is a taxpayer and a registered voter, but it isn't necessarily a disability issue that you're complaining about. I think it would be really exciting for us to be doing this now. I mean, I think this is the direction that we all need to be going in. What if you were known not for your concerns about disability, but your concerns about anything other than disability? It's time to be about the business of disability, the general business in a new way, and start making an impact on issues that aren't particularly disability specials. I'm serious. What about it? You have an excellent staff in Washington, D.C., Melanie Brunson and, and Day. Both of them went out of their way to brief me about you guys, what you were interested in, what you care about. I mean, this is excellent. This is how AAPD likes to work. We're not even really that much interested in your money. We're independent. We get a lot of um, corporate funding. We really want you to just be cross-disability members, enroll with us, be on our list so that we go in and do the lobbying, do the advocacy. We can say ACB is 100% with us, and we know 100% of their members are registered to vote, and we know that 100% of them care about appliance issues and accessibility to telecom, accessibility to technology, and, and this is the way we want to go. So if anybody's interested in working on these issues with AAPD, please sign up, let me know, give me your card. I'm going to leave a pile of, um, I've got some discs, some braille pamphlets, some regular pamphlets, some large font stuff that I'm going to leave on the desk out there so you know how to get hold of me. I want to know who you are and what you care about. So I can say when I go in or go in with anybody else, like with Day or with, uh, with Melanie to a Hill office or maybe the American Home Appliance Association, whoever it is we're next going to walk into, we could say 100% of the American Council for the Blind is behind this. That's the kind of thing we need to be saying in Washington every time we go in and make an impact. And I think you're all with me, right? Yeah, yeah thank you. That was Jennifer Simpson, Senior Director of Telecommunications and Technology for the American Association of People with Disabilities. Future editions of ACB Reports will bring you features from the upcoming affiliate presidents and legislative seminar sessions, plus more about the currency issue. And Lynn Cooper will join us for more fashion tips. So why don't you join us next time for another ACB Reports. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. 
ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. Connecting the blind community around the world, this is ACB Radio.